Here's to you, pageant girl. You're a game changer. You're the underdog. You are the trendsetter. You're the one who speaks up for what you believe in. You build others up when so many others have beat them down. You don't back down in the face of adversity. And you have no respect for the haters. Some people love you. Others hate you. There are those who build you up and those who tear you down. Because the one thing they'll never do is define who you are. Because as a group, you are united as one. You hold each other up with strength. And while some may just see you as beauty queens, we see you as leaders. When the lights go out and the crown comes off, you'll always be proud to say, I am a pageant girl. Hey, it's Miss Dallas International 2018, Antonia Okafor, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with him, Fialdo. Hey everybody, welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you useful interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, lifestyle entrepreneur, pageant host, author, and quite honestly, somebody who just wants to help you become a better person overall. Now, if pageant life is over for you, or it soon could be, and you're wondering, well, what do I do now, or what's next? This podcast is designed to help make the transition to real life and the school of hard knocks a little bit easier for you to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us today. Let's get started. My guest today is the current Miss Dallas International 2018, the founder and president of Empowered, an organization devoted to the Second Amendment and self-defense rights of women on college campuses, and a candidate for the NRA Board of Directors. Her written work has been published in the New York Times and The Hill, and she frequently appears as a commentator on Fox News, CNN, BBC, and Sinclair Broadcasting. As you can tell by the introduction, she is no stranger to controversy and facing opposition on a public stage, so I'm looking forward to a fascinating conversation with my guest, Antonia Okafor. Great to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to finally get to do this yeah, with you. No, I know we've been working back and forth with our schedules, but I appreciate you being here. So, you know, some people who, you know, if you heard this introduction and you you think this is some sort of push for, you know, a political persuasion of one kind for another, that's not what this is about. But, you know, truthfully, Antonia, the reason that I am excited to have you on is because we live in a world, as you well know, where the female voice and contribution in society continues to grow. And you are someone who has not only been willing to put your voice out there, but you literally do empower other women to do the same. So before we even get to talking about what some of those things are, where did this desire to speak up come from for you? You know, I'd like to say, you know, I watched this show and then that kind of, <laughs> you know, triggered something or, I, you know, I, you know, I have a, a very, well, I want to say outspoken, but she's, um, to us at least, she's always been outspoken. My mother, she's a great example of uh, someone who lives through her convictions and um, by him. So I guess that's that's definitely something where I get it from. But I think also it's a little bit of natural, you know, like I just always wanted to be someone who was heard. So um, I think it was part of that too. But yeah, I think it was just mostly growing up and always asking questions, raising my hand. I was that student, that annoying student in, in class in the front row asking questions and um, it just happened to translate into the real world as well. So well, here I am. That's super cool. And here, you know, on the surface, you know, when we're talking about pageants, you know, you're not the typical person we see compete in a pageant. We usually don't have, you know, people who are already commentators on national news shows. Um, what drew you to the pageant world? Well, what drew me was uh, this young lady, a woman that I really look up to, inspired by every day, Allie Curtis. Um, she was Miss Rhode Island America um, 2015. And, you know, just seeing her go through that experience, we're both Running Start, uh, Walmart Star Fellowship uh, alum. This is an organization through Running Start where, you know, helps women get into politics and basically learn how to use your voice in the public policy realm. And she, shortly after, was she was, you know, um, crowned Miss Rhode Island. And after looking at what she's done and how she, you know, she graduated from Brown University after, and then 
she got her master's again in cybersecurity. I just, I, it really tore away all the misconceptions I had had before of, of pageant girls and, and beauty pageants and what, the, and who they look like and, and how they live their lives. And so um, she had been urging me for a long time. And finally, I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and I did it. And basically, I was bitten by the pageant bug, as people <laughs> say, and I haven't turned back. So, yeah. Well, you're Miss Dallas International. So I, I guess tell me about, you know, what has been your honest-to-God uh, pageant experience to this point? Yeah, so I, I mean, I started in when I was 27. So last year, it's, it's kind of crazy to, to say that. It seems like so much longer. But um, so I, my first pageant ever was Miss Texas International um, 2017. And uh, I, mean, I didn't even place. Um, so that was an experience, but again, I'm, I was already a public figure at that point. Um, so it was kind of cool being able to allow other people to be a part of the journey. And what I loved about the international system is that you have a platform and that's really important to the whole, um, experience. And so I got to talk about, you know, my, my love of self-defense and the right to, um, be able to protect that and, and talk publicly about that. So I used that uh, opportunity to do so. Um, but then, you know, I got this urging from the USA system to, you know, to be able to finally do that. And they pushed the age. So I was 27 at the time. So I was like, you know what, um, maybe I should do that next. And that's what I did. So my next pageant, which I just finished in January, uh, was competing in Miss Texas USA. And that was completely different and definitely pushed me in, in more ways than I could ever have imagined. But I'm glad I went through that experience, but yeah, it was it was incredible. So when you say so different, <laughs> when, yeah, when you say different, I I, I I sense some some hesitation in your voice. Was there some challenges? Yeah, to it? <laughs> yeah, several. I mean, on just so many different fronts. I and I don't even like to compare it to the international because I just feel like it's so different in the system and what they're looking for. But you know, um, and I might get some pushback, but this is what I get. <laughs> you know, okay. maybe as a newbie, you know, as a newbie, what I, my experience was is that, um, you know, it's too old to go through the Miss America pageant at the time. And so I, that wasn't an option for me. And even though a lot of people were saying, were, would tell me, oh, no, you, you would have done it so well in that pageant system, blah, blah, blah. But who knows? I would have. Um, I'll never know um, because I'm too old, <laughs> apparently. But um, with the USA system, it was I knew it was going to be a lot of the physical aspect. So the swimsuit, um, you know, people would like to say it's more glamorous and, and stuff like that. It's more about you know certain ways that you present yourself. It's a confidence factor. So I also knew it was a lot more money, too, and it was a lot of money. And, again, I was able to get a lot of my fans my followers to be involved. They donated money. Um, they went and voted for me for, you know, people's choice and stuff like that. So it was really cool to have that aspect of it. But then personally, you know, I was dealing with the fact that, you know, I, the reason I, no, I never even thought about doing pageants growing up is because I was overweight for most of my life. Um, they will dealt with a lot of that issue and that struggle. Um, I ate a lot of my feelings um, going back. You know, my father went to prison when I was five years old, I'm a sexual assault survivor. So that's how I, I really dealt with a lot of those issues growing up. Um, and so it wasn't until about three years ago where I lost about 120 pounds. And so that avenue even wasn't even an option until I felt confident enough. And so for me, Miss USA is all about, you know, the most glamorous woman, I think, and always focus on the physical aspect. And so for me, it was that mental, basically that mental hurdle of getting past something where I thought I would never be able to, to, to be able to, you know, be on stage in a bathing suit in front of hundreds um, in the audience and thousands at home. And I think that was probably the biggest aspect was the mental hurdle that I had to get through of saying I'm worthy enough and my body is good enough, regardless of what, you know, what the scale says one way or the other. So I guess you know, that being said, and I think a lot of women go through that same type of situation you go through where they walk in and think, gosh, I have to live up to this. Did it leave you with a sour taste in your mouth a little bit? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I, I did write an article for, you know, after, um, Miss America decided to, um, nix the, um, the swimsuit competition. I wrote an article for NBC actually. It was eye opening to me of that I didn't feel that it really was about fitness, that it was about this preconceived, you know, notion of what beauty looks like, what a beautiful woman looks like when it comes to body type. 
Um, and I did feel a lot of it was, you know, being thicker on the, on the bottom half, you know, having a booty, uh, was not celebrated. I remember talking to, um, actually she was Miss, she's Miss Ohio and, um, not Miss Ohio now, but used to be Miss Ohio, um, USA at a, a time of four. And she told me, well, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they want you to look good. Just remember you can't have too much you know, junk in the trunk. You know, I remember the first time that she said that, I was like, uh, maybe she talked to me about, okay, obviously you can't be too, you know, you can't be, a, you know, too overweight or whatever. But then I was like, no, no, no. She means like, keep the booty in check. Like, <laughs> um, and that's just like, that's when this is being real time with you, right? Real, real honest talk well, with sure. you. It's just not, not easy. And, and I really worked really hard to keep that down. So I, I did feel like there were certain body types that were more celebrated to, let's just say that the top half of you, which, you know, most people could buy or not buy, I don't know. Um, and then, you know, the, the other part where most people can't, and I felt like there was kind of, there were, I just felt there was kind of this type of, um, favoritism towards one type than another, let's just say that. So, um, but in the end, I, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying swimsuits are bad or whatever. I just feel like when people try to say that it's only about fitness, that it's not really fair and it's not a com- complete picture. It's really about you know what the judges prefer. And when you know Miss Dallas USA was telling me you know just a week before the competition, oh yes, I hope we have a judge that likes athletic bodies. Then I think that's when you're just kind of like red flags are kind of up there. Like, why wouldn't they like athletic bodies? Why do you have to have a judge that would prefer that versus another one when it should be about health and fitness? So, yeah, I think this is I think is a great topic because, you know, this has obviously been the huge debate of the pageant world this year. Miss America just says, you know, the heck with it. We're just going to get rid of the whole thing. And then there's the other side. You know, Mm -hmm. I think the Miss USA girls used a hashtag that says we do both. And they're all about, you know, fitness and health. I mean, do you do you agree yeah. with Miss America to just say, you know what, I don't think it's about that anymore at all? You know, I remember at first getting it, I kind of had this kind of like, oh, okay, that seems a little extreme. But then, I, then yeah, that's when I started thinking about, but in my own experience, it did feel like, you know, yeah, I, that makes total sense. Of course, I, was, I haven't participated in the Miss America pageant, so I don't really know firsthand, but it was interesting after that article came out. I had a lot of people from even the Miss America side telling me their stories and saying, you know, I completely agree. And it, and it really helped me, too, to see that on both systems, USA and America, that there were women who felt the same way. Now, I know that there's back and forth, and maybe you can help me with this, about the gown portion, too, that that's also gone because it's completely the physical aspect is gone. You know, you can't really – it's not about judging on your physical beauty, um, that, that's true, right? It's, that's also yeah, going to be kind of like ha- having a choice so, of what you want to wear is what it sounds like. Okay, okay. So that one was, I felt like it was maybe it is going a little far um, because I do feel like the evening gown portion is something where you get to just celebrate more of how your confidence more on, on that side, and more people feel comfortable with that, and you can do a lot of things with you know accentuating certain parts than another. But I think they made a decision that's good for them. I think that's, it was fitting that Miss America, it's now Miss America 2.0. It's a different version. And I, you know, I think also the Miss Universe system is going that way too. Um, for Miss Texas, they changed the shoe platform, um, the shoe system or whatever. You couldn't have, you know, the, the, the tippy tops that we usually have for, you know, in the, in the past. And now they wanted more of a, you know, they wanted more of a modern look. And I think it's just like, they're going with the times of, you know, things, times are changing. We're not looking for the quote-unquote pageant girl anymore. We're looking for a star. Um, and I think that's just how it's going to go in the future. So I think this is what's going to happen. Well, hey, you're somebody uh, great to talk about this because you deal with the national media all the time. And when we're talking about the two pageant systems that are, you know, look, the main ones out there, America and the USA system, the ratings mm-hmm. on television – Every year since 2015 continue to decline. And, you know, some people say it's politics. Some people say it's maybe it's a swimsuit competition. I don't know. What do you think the reason is that America is substantially tuning them out more and more every year? I think it's just like the award shows. They are putting a lot of politics into it. And let's just say there's this one side that I feel 
is favored. Um, I mean, we saw that last year with the Miss America system, mm-hmm. you know, when, I mean, a couple of people were very vocally anti-Trump and it was celebrated. And, you know, and we see that with award due. Um, I think people, even if they are on that side, people are just, they want to, you know, if it's an award show, they want to watch an award show. If it's a competition or if it's a beauty pageant, they want to watch a competition or a beauty pageant. It doesn't really matter what you call it. It should be about that. And I think especially when people are, you know, celebrated because they say they have a certain uh, view or they believe a certain way, and then they notice that people are not, I think people are just tired of that in general, whether they agree with them or not. And of course, um, my views are very, you know, different maybe than what most people would, would expect when it comes to that. But, you know, I definitely believe that, you know, they're not representing all people. And I saw that after, um, I saw that with Miss USA system, after the Parkland shooting, I felt that, you know, they typically attacked the NRA. And you know what? NRA is six million strong. And there are women, young women who have those viewpoints or have family who are who are NRA members or NRA members themselves. So for you to say it's about it's about getting into the system and it's about, you know, we've been political, but then it's about being political for one viewpoint and then ostracizing another. I think that's the message that we're sending and it's not healthy for anybody because then people who have a differing viewpoint are afraid to speak up. And that's, if you're really about empowering women, it's not empowering just one, you know, cohort of women or, you know, subset of women. It's about empowering all women to speak their mind regardless if you agree with it or not. Yeah. And I, and I recall which uh, the Miss America competition you're talking about, it was basically five questions lined up as anti-Trump questions, and I do remember that specifically, but do you think if they just got rid of the political play altogether and just went back to being a, you know, whether you want to call it a beauty pageant or a competition or whatever you want to call it, do you think that it would go back Mm -hmm. up in the ratings? I do. I think so. I think, and the thing is that I'm not saying take politics out of it. You know, there's policy. I mean, that's what people forget is, you know, we're in this hysteria right now where I feel like we have to talk about the president and and that's the focal point. You you don't know anything about politics. You don't talk about the president. That is not true. And that is not what America was founded upon. We did, you know, use one branch of the three branches that we're supposed to be making sure that we keep checks and balances on. And Congress is the one who makes laws, and we're supposed to be focused on that. We're supposed to be focused on the, you know, the fact that we, the people, are the ones who are supposed to be keeping them accountable as well. And so the policy aspect, I mean, we can talk talking about issues, and issues are things that we can probably going to still disagree on, but at least at the end we keep, we're more informed because of it versus, you know, I hate Trump or I love Trump. I mean, regardless of what viewpoint you have, you're not going to learn anything more um, by by listening to someone's opinion on that. So I just think, you know, there's definitely there's systems that do it well. Um, in the international system, we talked about really heavy issue, policy issues. And um, I think everybody in the audience was better for it. So let's go back to that. Let's go back to watching something that's, yes, maybe entertaining and inspiring because, you know, at the end, as a young lady, I'm looking at to these women on TV because they inspire me or they give me hope or they have a story that I can identify with. Like, let's go back to that. I think that's why people actually watch those shows instead of this is my viewpoint. And if you disagree with me, well, then you might not want to watch. Yeah. And look, I think it's been really nerve wracking for a lot of contestants because, you know, they they go on stage and let's just uh, let's take a couple of years ago, uh, Chelsea Harden, who was Miss Hawaii USA. I talked to her the other day. She was the one that Mm -hmm. got the would you vote for Trump or Hillary question. And it was a, you know, the crowd booed and it was a big deal. But let's say you look back over the past few years um, at women in pageants who have basically in the face of adversity or a question like that, stood up and owned the stage during those top five questions. Now, many will tell you how inspired they were by uh, the woman who actually beat Chelsea, Deshauna Barber, when she spoke up Mm -hmm. uh, very confidently about her involvement in the military as a woman. Now, from what I can see, you are definitely a woman who has that same tone and that same confidence. So how would you explain to women listening, how do you develop that surefire confidence in using your voice to speak about what you believe, no matter which way uh, we're talking about politically? You know, I absolutely believe that it's you have to know who you are first. You have to know, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a born again Christian, um, eight years 
um, now. And I believe it's because at the end of the day, the only person that I, I really care about, who I really care about at the end or what their opinion of me is, is God, is Jesus Christ. And when you have that and you're firmly grounded in that, then, I mean, yes, I, I don't like it when people <laughs> um, disagree with me or, you know, very hurtful in the way they disagree with me. I definitely, you know, welcome people disagreeing with me. But I, I think it comes down to where is your identity? Where do you find your identity and your worth? If you are solid in that, then all the other things that kind of distract you maybe even briefly, will, won't tear you down and won't be your foundation. And so I think that's really what it comes from is once I knew that who I was in Christ, then I was able to speak out the way that, you know, I feel as a Christian, as a born-again Christian, I should be speaking out. And certain issues are very clear to me that I should be speaking out, and, and that's what I'm doing today. Well, and that's really interesting you bring that up because I know you were on a panel um, at the new Museum of the Bible in D.C. to share your story of faith. Mm-hmm. Now, as a woman of faith, you're a reborn Christian in the public eye. You are certainly someone who sees her share of hate and controversy. Uh, do you find it challenging when we're talking about faith in general in the public arena to talk about? Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love the fact that I'm, you know, I love the fact that just recently, what, like a week ago, um, people are excited about the fact that, you know, Chris Pratt and his great, um, I think it was Teen Choice Awards yes, or something, correct. I forgot which award show it was, where he was talking about his faith. And people have known that he, I don't know if people know that he's a Christian, but at least that he's talked about those things pretty openly, kind of like, you know, the Tebow type factor. Um, but just to be on that stage, especially award shows these days, and say anything that is against the grain of what you're supposed to. I mean, it was just bold and it was beautiful. And to see a man do it too is, I think, even more important because unfortunately, I think there is there is a war on manhood um, that we're seeing these days. And so I'm just so glad that he was able to do that. But I was impressed because even me as a you know, conservative commentator, someone that you would think, you know, it should be open and feel welcome to talking about my faith. I get a lot of people who still push back and say that that's not my place. And, you know, I'm a conservative, but you don't need to be talking about Jesus or, you know, you know, Christianity or even your faith. It's pretty sad. So, you know, it's been eye opening as well, but it's also been humbling because sometimes you get so caught up in politics and you think, you know, people who vote for this, you know, party are this way, and people who vote for this party are this way, and that's just not true. It's not, it's not how things work, and, um, you know, Jesus transcends all that, you know, faith transcends all that, and I'm, da- I'm reminded pretty often, more often than I would like sometimes, but uh, God's kind of like, you need to learn it, because I'm not, apparently, that it, it doesn't matter what who you voted for, you voted for Hillary or Trump or didn't vote at all, that that transcends all of that. And there are people who are not going to like that you're talking about um, your faith, period, regardless of which side they're on. Well, and I like the fact that you shared the Chris Pratt story because, yes, that was incredibly bold. But, you know, the one thing you mentioned is that um, we are living in a world of a little bit of man bashing. And as a man, I can say, you know, you feel it sometimes. But, you know, one of the hot topics mm-hmm. in the pageant world over the last two years has been this whole topic of feminism. Now, you describe yourself as a, quote, feminist. So what is that to you? Yeah. So feminism to me is making sure that, you know, the equality of the sexes, which I feel I do feel like that has some politicized that sort of it being the issue base of, you know, um, having equality um, when it comes to political equality or, you know, or opportunity equality, like in the workplace and stuff like that, which, you know, people have different ways of what that looks like and how to come about that, um, go about that. I think people now think it's, you have to be very progressive and have these, you know, certain type of beliefs. You have to be pro-choice. Um, you have to be anti-gun. And it's almost looking like you have, you know, it's not even about feminism anymore. To be honest, it looks more and more like the democratic platform or the progressive platform. And people think if you don't have those beliefs or say, you know, you're pro-life and you believe in other things or, or what have you, 
then you can't be a feminist. And I, I just believe that's wrong. It's wrong, not just what I believe, but it is wrong. Because if you look in history, first wave feminists were actually, I mean, Susan B. Anthony, incredibly pro-life. The women's suffrage movement, incredibly pro-life. And, and even going into the second, it wasn't really until wave where people kind of feel like they have to identify with one party or one political ideology in order to be a feminist. And I just completely reject that. And I think that's part of just kind of how I've always wanted to be outside of the box. I didn't want people to put me in this type of, you know, you, this is what a pretty little a picture of what this should look like. I've never wanted that for myself. I wanted to be an independent thinker. And I truly believe that you can be a feminist and you can be pro-life. You can be a feminist and you can be pro-gun. And on the pro-gun issue, I'm sure we'll talk about that more, but on the pro-gun issue, I, I adamantly believe that, if you want the equality of the sexes and you know that, you know, because of science, that a man is physically um, stronger and more capable than a woman, then you should be able to give that woman a choice of how she should, how she defends herself and where she defends herself. And I believe having a firearm, if used safely and correctly, um, is how you do that. It's a great equalizer. So as a feminist, when you see these, uh, you know, women's marches all over the country, and, you know, some of these, uh, you know, female celebrities get up on stage, the Madonnas, the Ashley Judds, the Katy Perrys, and, and it's, you know, their speeches are filled with a lot of hate. How does that make you feel mm. as, a, as a woman? It's really sad, to be honest, because I know that there are other, I think about the other young girls, you know, for me, I, I can see through that, you know, I, I've seen this, I've been there, I know that I'm not going to be impacted by these people talking, because I, I, I'm knowledgeable of the fact Um but there's so many girls, so many even women who are just not keeping up with the issue because, you know, God forbid they they have lives and, <laughs> you know, they're, you know, looking at, you know, doing, you know, trying to just live their life and be the best they can be in other aspects. And they're not looking at politics 24-7 like some people, some weird people like, you know, me um, might be doing or make that at their job. And so they're, they don't, they're not realizing the fact that these people are saying these things. A lot of them not even using, for one, not using actual facts to back up what they're saying. But two, I mean, the emotional aspect of them, I feel like, is very is misleading in that they're passionate. They're so passionate about something that, for one, they are, you can be passionate about something, I believe. I believe you can be passionate about something um, and not degrade other people's point of view or other people in general. But when you demonize a whole group of people and say that because they voted a certain way or they think a certain way, or maybe they're still on your side, quote unquote, but they might have some different leanings on different issues that that's wrong, that they're they're a horrible person because of that, that they're racist or they're sexist and misogynist. I think that's where the issue comes about was when you're calling people names because they didn't, they don't agree with you. And, you know, as a former progressive, or I would say liberal, uh, liberal in the classical liberal sense, I believe that actual liberalism is allowing freedom of speech, is allowing other people to, to talk about different issues and listen to them uh, without trying to um, completely stop them and what they're saying because you, you don't like what they're saying. So I think that's what I'm seeing lately, and I think that's part of the problem, and a lot of people are seeing that as well. And either they change parties or they change viewpoints or they just completely disengage altogether, and that's detrimental for everybody, particularly our generation, because millennials are the biggest voting block now um, as people age off now, and it's important that we're just as engaged, if not more engaged than before, um, because there's so much information out there and people need leaders to step up and, and help direct them into where they should be going. Now, a reason that some people know your face and voice is the fact that you were part of a video on uh, Prager University. Um, I think it was called Black Millennial, mm -hmm. Female, and Conservative. That video has been seen almost three and a half million times. That number continues to grow. So how did the involvement in that video come along, and, and really what's the message of the video from your standpoint? Yeah, that involvement came along with Turning Point USA. Um, I knew, I've known Shirley Kirk for a while now. Again, there goes my, my nerdiness. I remember <laughs> kind of leaving the when I decided you know, I'm no longer um, on in the Democrat <clears throat> side or, you know, I had different viewpoints at least, and being really impressed by Barack Obama's, his grassroots effort, and particularly with young people, and really wondering and wishing we had something like that on our side, on 
on the conservative movement side. And, um, you know, four or five years ago, seeing Turning Point USA and being really impressed. And here it is, the a huge organization it is now. But um, they, he asked me to be, they're trying to bring more conservative young voices into the PragerU network and share their stories. And I was able to kind of tell them that, you know, it's supposed to be something else in the beginning, but I decided that, you know, I really just want to share my story um, and then have people, if they resonate with it, cool. If not, cool. At least I shared my story. Like, that's what I just feel like that it, that's what it comes down to. And so, uh, yeah, I did the video and had no idea that it would blow up. I really had no idea that pe- so many people would resonate with it and then share their stories, too. And it's just been awesome to to listen to them and, and, and hear their, what they believe, you know, they got out of it as well. So, yeah, it's an amazing um, to be a part of that. Well, you know, one of the things that I see that you get to deal with a lot is uh, this assumption that because you're a black female um, that you should vote a certain way. And I, I see you do a lot of debates on some of the, the national uh, cable shows about that. Um, I guess, you know, as someone who deals with the national media on a consistent basis, what bothers you most about what you personally experience when you go on these shows? Yeah, what bothers me the most is that and I know these people are, you know, the moderators, the anchors, they're very intelligent, obviously. Um, it bothers me that they try to set up things that way to make you feel that you're in the wrong. Um, I'm already thinking just in my head right now it's when I was on CNN <laughs> and that, you know, I was there as my, you know, my parents are from Nigeria and I had a different viewpoint on, on certain issues of what happened uh, with some alleged remarks that people said that Trump made in regards to Nigeria and to people in Africa and real, literally just coming there with the facts. I'm just saying, I just came there with the facts of, of what people said. Um, but, them already setting it up and you know i remember during the interview and them saying well we actually have a clip of you saying this let's bring it on I'm like oh my okay so you guys have this repaired um okay yeah it's not like you just like had oh well we just had this like laying around no like they, they knew exactly what they were doing they were trying to pit one nigerian american with another nigerian american you know and i feel like it's sad because this is supposed to be a news network not a this is not ESPN. So what ESPN is looking more like uh, CNN these days anyways. So it's kind of interesting. Um, and I actually kind of know why that is um, because they've kind of switched uh, their their CEOs and everything. But um, that's, a, that's a different podcast. But basically, yeah, it's kind of what we're seeing in general um, that, you know, politics, policy debates, news is now entertainment. It's now a sports match. Um it's now something where someone's supposed to be bloodied and, you know, feel like, you know, oh, man, like, you should feel horrible after. And I tend to do <laughs> kind of feel a little shaken and, you know, kind of feel like you're, you're literally in a fight um, sometimes after these, after these uh, segments. Um, I, particularly, I, I always re- won't remember, I always never forget this with um, Pierce Morgan. And when I had, um, when I was interviewed by him, and uh, yeah, I definitely to this day will not be, I will not go on his show again because I legitimately feel that he was there to, to start fights um, instead of actually talk about what the actual policy issue was. And I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm doing to, to make good TV. It's, I don't even, when, sh- when shootings happen, I, now I, I usually tend to disengage more than ever because these are people's lives that we're dealing with. And this is an issue that's important to me. And I believe legitimately that my side, I believe, is something that's there to help people and protect people. And so when people are making comments and accusations that you don't care about children and you're okay with, you know, you're more okay with guns and protecting firearms and you're protecting children and it, it, that can't be any further from the truth. I mean, now it's just... A, a, direct response that, you know, I don't want to engage with that. And I don't want to be on TV with that because this is not a game. This is not entertainment. So, um, but yeah, I do believe that they kind of set it up that way now. Um, and it's getting worse. Look, I think it's great that you bring that up because I'm a former journalist. I was a news anchor for six years. Um, I got out of that side of things, you know, 
kind of honestly because of the, some of the stuff that you see going on now. But you know, when somebody like you mm. goes on there and you feel like it's not more, it's not any more about journalism and facts. And you said you brought facts to an interview, and it was more of a spin <clears throat> and a narrative. And I don't care what network mm-hmm. or what political affiliation or whatever. I feel like that's almost the biggest problem in America today is is the media has distorted what truth is and it's causing a lot of people just not not to know where to go or what to what to believe anymore. Absolutely. When basic when I mean BBC is kind of like the the it network for me right now just because they kind of go in the, and you know how it works there's mm-hmm. news cycles and you just certain places want you and then the other ones don't at a certain time. BBC seems to I guess after the whole Pierce Morgan interview um is fascinated with a black woman who's um who's an advocate for the second amendment issues um second amendment is still fascinating to them but i'll never forget when um after one of the shootings i think it was yeah it was after the las vegas shooting and they had me on i believe for the first time and this is bbc um breakfast so their big primetime morning show and on air this BBC journalists, you know, I was like telling him because they were asking me how many firearms I have and, you know, do I shoot and et cetera. And I was telling them what type of firearms I had. And I was like, yeah, I have this um, DD Data Defense M4 V7, which is an AR-15 platform. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, for your audience, AR, AR does not mean assault rifle. Okay, you heard it from me. Okay, <laughs> assault rifle. AR does not mean assault rifle. It means Armalite, the, the guy who invented that rifle. But anyways, I digress. Um, so this this journalist asked me, he goes, wait, what's an AR-15? And I was just, I, I just wish I could, I couldn't get the footage later because of just how it works with, you know, them being in England here. But um, I, I just, I just remember stopping almost like looking at him and being like, you're joking type thing, but not saying it out loud, but I'm sure my face says it said the whole thing and be like oh oh, oh no no we're, we're live and oh no he's not joking oh okay well uh, let me explain it to you so an ar-15 is that semi-automatic rifle where blah 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 and then you know like going through the whole thing and telling this bbc journalist which i'm sure that he has and sometime before or another had said something about ars like he was an expert on it and you know saying talking about fully automatic rifles as if that's what you know what ars are when they're not um, but he was asking me what that was. And, you know, I had people from the British audience messaging me, which was really nice. It was, they're really cordial and, and nice. I feel like Brits really are uh, very polite people. And they were just like, you know, thank you so much for educating us because we, we don't, I, we don't know what those are, you know? And so it helped me realize that, um, I think for what, for the most part, even journalists, people who say that they know what they are here in America, they really don't. Um, but at least over there, they're just like, we really don't know what it is. <laughs> we don't know what it is. <laughs> and um, it's 2018. We don't know what it is, even though we're going to talk about it as if we do. And so it, it kind of humbled me to be like, okay, there's a lot of educating that still needs to go <laughs> still needs to go on. And journalists don't know everything. And, uh, you know, professor, professors don't know everything. I learned that pretty quickly in my fight for campus carry, um, concealed carry, when I was an activist in Texas for that push. So... Um, but it's a lot of stuff you don't know until until you're in the fight yourself, and most people are just not paying attention, unfortunately. Sure. Well, clearly by your introduction that I gave earlier and then, you know, the topic of our discussion now, you are someone who is obviously pro-Second Amendment and for gun rights. Now, this, of course, is probably, mm-hmm. I, I would say, one of the top two biggest issues in America right now. I'd say immigration is the other one. So, you know, mm-hmm. whether whether, <laughs> yeah. whether anybody listening believes one way or the other 100 percent, and maybe they're against you, maybe they're not. Why are you so passionate about this subject? You know, so I, like I talked about earlier, I'm a sexual assault survivor. Um, and I'm not, a, I mean, people usually think because I'm a, I talk about college and age women and I'm an advocate for especially young women on college campuses and empowered uh, specifically for women on college campuses that it happened to me when I was in college. Um, it actually didn't it happen when I was five. And because it happened to me so early in my life, I feel that I, 23 years later, I'm still dealing the repercussions of being a survivor and how that affected me. And so 
I know how it is. I know what these women are going through now, but I know what they're going to be going through 20, 30 years from now as well. And when people try to make the issue so trivial to the point where they say, oh, well, you don't need such and such because you can do this or you can do this. Um, I mean, this is actual, this is the University of Michigan um, several years ago put out a uh, recommendation of what rape, what women who are in a situation where they're about to be raped, what they should do instead of, of, you know, because they don't have firearms on campus. Instead, they should, this is literal, you can go and look it up yourself. Um, one of them was a woman should urinate on herself um, during when that <laughs> happens. So, yeah, I mean, uh, urinate or, you know, was another word, going to the bathroom. But so other ways you can do that. Um, I mean, it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's, no, it's just, it's egregious the way where we treat women who have been raped or sexually assaulted. Um, we don't, I don't think, to be honest, there's enough outrage uh, because it's not just something that just happens. It's something that continues to affect a woman for the rest of her life and can be a cycle that can, can perpetuate for generations. So it's absolutely a passionate issue. So when people ask me why it's so passionate, I'm so passionate about the issues because it is something that is so detrimental to so many people and people are going through it silently. And I believe that a woman, if she, you know, a woman is more, is just as capable and actually studies have shown more capable. No, actually a lot of men when it comes to shooting accurately, but that's a different, that's a different podcast there. But um, of using, utilizing a firearm and using it in, in cases of self-defense. And in fact, 2 million people do that um, in cases of self-defense every year. And, and so being able to allow a woman to have a choice to see how they can defend themselves, um, how they defend themselves and where to defend themselves is important to me because I really believe that's an extension of of saying a woman is empowered and independent and capable of doing things and taking safety into her own hands. Um, I can't see anything more empowering than that, to be honest. Well, and speaking about, you know, being empowered, um, you know, women being able to speak up today in the face of opposition um, is quite challenging. And, you know, what's fascinating about you is you are literally running for the NRA board of directors. Now, you want to talk about opposition, um, you face it. I mean, I watch somebody like Dana Lesh, who daily on Twitter has threats on her life and her mm-hmm. kids and everything, and she just takes it and absorbs it. I guess my question to you is, why do you want to put yourself in that position? Yeah, you know, I want to do it because I believe that, you know, there's a reason people in the gun world that, you know, like to be like, oh, the NRA compromises, oh, the NRA this, or this organization does this. But well, I'm always wondering, it's always interesting that after a shooting, um, or something happens, and then, you know, that's the first thing people um, go to is, oh, the NRA is involved somehow. You know, they always want some kind of spin on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that they tend to be quiet during those <laughs> those aspects of those periods of time. You know, I don't hear about these other organizations that are getting the brunt of the um, of people saying things. And that's because NRA has been the longest running, the largest, absolutely, um, when it comes to being a defender of the Second Amendment. And um, they've been in the forefront for a long time, and they've done a lot of work in all 50 states. I mean, we wouldn't have concealed carry in all 50 states if it wasn't for um, the NRA and their movement. We wouldn't, um, if we're going even further back into history, you know, the NRA... Um, was really integral in making sure that freed, um, arming black, freed black slaves, um, former slaves, um, in a time in Jim Crow and gun control and also the KKK, which you can also look it up as well, um, historically was started as a gun control group to keep freed black people from protecting themselves when they actually were going to go lynch them in their property. So people, black people have been using firearms to protect themselves for a long time, um, and the NRA has been a, a part of, you know, that for all Americans, for all people in general and protecting them. And so I know what they've done and, and I, I know the people there and um, I've grown to respect them even more than I have before. And um, I'm, I'm, I want to be a part of what they're doing and continue to ensure that what they do in the future will continue to empower um, the, the members they have now. But bring more people on board as well. And I really believe that's a lot of young women, a lot of young people in general, um, that's going to make sure that the, that the NRA continues to, to thrive. 
Well, I certainly wish you the best of luck on uh, getting elected to the board of directors there. Thank you. Thank you. It's going to be a long haul, but I'm trying to get nominated for that. Um, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. So I'm just glad that I'm even, you know, some people don't like it apparently, but the fact that they already know I'm a black woman, but that, you know, that if I win this, I will be the first black woman on the board in, in NRA history. And I also see that as something that pretty perfect in timing because more black women than ever are becoming firearm owners in the last few years, actually. And so I think it's perfect timing to show that we as a, a cohort or a subset of women, not just, you know, people, but women are really taking, you know, safety into our own hands in, in that way. So I love that I can represent that as well. Oh, yeah, nice to see it uh, breaking some barriers. So let's talk about a couple of more things <laughs> yeah. Yeah, before we go. Um, you're the CEO of an organization that you call Empowered. So tell me about it, mm-hmm. where you came up with the idea. Yeah, so I came up with Empowered um, when I actually wasn't a the opposite state, I was a very, a point where I was very, felt very disempowered. Um, and, and, and that's also a different podcast. You're like, okay, we're going to have to do another <laughs> podcast, but, um, <laughs> for all these different stories. But, um, basically it was realizing that I, you know, going and training and, and getting the training and getting this type of, I mean, a firearm people, I know that people kind of see it as just, a way that is there to hurt people, but it's really, I see it as a way to defend people. And um, when you're able to utilize this tool in the right way and realize that now you can defend yourself, I mean, I can't, that's what I felt was empowered. And, you know, it's kind of like when you have a car and you know that you never have, if you never driven before, it's just something that could probably hurt you because you have no idea how to use it. But the more that you use it and you learn how to use it, I feel like you feel that you're more equipped and you know how to use this vehicle that could have been there to harm you or someone else is actually now there in the right hand to be able to, to help you. Um, and I, I think that's the same thing that I felt. And I felt a lot of women who are also survivors felt the same way as well. And they just feel like they didn't have a voice. And so um, as a college advocate um, and activist, I realized that one thing the media was very good at doing was making it seem like feminism and fi- firearm ownership were two different things. And they were, you know, they, they weren't something that could ever be, you know, together or, you know, empowering together. And, it, and it's definitely been the opposite. And the last, what, a year and a half, I've been able to, you know, go on with different college campuses and talk to young women who actually feel the same way, or they've never heard that message in that way before. And it's kind of mind boggling to me that they haven't, but in a way, knowing how things work with media and information and how people want to destroy messages if they don't like it, it makes total sense to me now that they, you know, women for a long time have felt like guns were not for them or firearms weren't are not for them. And even with empowered, it's not even just the gun aspect. You know, most people don't even know that. So for example, in state of Massachusetts, in Massachusetts, you cannot have pepper spray in four year universities um, or community colleges. You can't have pepper spray. They banned that a couple of years ago. So it's not even about the firearms aspect. It's about the self defense aspect of we have a right to self-defense. We have a right to protect ourselves with regards if we're on a college campus or off a college campus. And for women like me, um, you know, most women are going to be on a college campus at one time or another, um, at one point in their lives during that, that time, that age. So um, if you're spending 90% of your time somewhere and you're denied a way to defend yourself, that is a civil rights issue right there. And, and I think more women are finally realizing that, that they have a right to defend themselves no matter where they are. And that's what Empowered is about is giving them the education, the training, um, and the tools to advocate for those rights. Now, I know you travel the country quite a bit, um, speaking to a lot of young women about empowerment. And uh, I believe this summer you spoke at a Young Women's Leadership Summit in Dallas for uh, Turning Point Mm -hmm. USA. Um, It was you and a a panel of other prominent women. What would you say your core message is to uh, female leaders of this generation? Uh, My core message is to be bold. And, and then that means that being bold is, you know, you talk about this one issue and you stand up for it and that's awesome, but people can stand up for issues. If everybody else is on the same page for this bold issue or whatever, then 
are you really being bold? Um, are you really being true to yourself? Maybe that you believe in that issue and it just happens to be other people believe you too, but there are many times where, you know, even I myself, I have to check myself and realize, am I really standing up for something that I believe in or am I standing up for something because it's pretty convenient for me to stand up for it is because you know one time in, I'm in Texas and it's pretty easy to have an NRA sticker and so I can say something there and then I go back to like you know Virginia now and DC area and I'm like oh maybe I should you know not have that um, so it's kind of like you have to make the decision for yourself who you're going to be and what you're going to stand up for and and stand yeah stand up for and stand up to. Um, and speak out for, and then realize that regardless of where you're at, which is very tempting to change sometimes, that you're going to have people who are going to be upset with you if you actually speak that truth. Not your truth, because I'm kind of sick of tired of people saying, you know, speak your truth or, you know, this whole relativism thing. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that there is a, an objective truth, and, and you should stand up for that truth. And that means there are going to be people who are against you, um, but I promise you that there are more people who will feel inspired and they will feel empowered <laughs> um, because they see someone else saying that truth as well, because there are a lot of people who wish that they could say something, um, but it's just, and they will, and sometimes they will, they will eventually do that, and that was how I was. Um, it took other people that I looked up to, to who were standing up for what they believed in to finally give me um, the courage to finally say what I believed in. And I think when you, the more people do that, the more women do that, the more other women will see that and the next generation will be better because of it. Well, look, I think you're doing a great job of that, regardless of political persuasion or where you stand on any issues. I, I just, I have a, a great admiration for you for standing up in the face of opposition, in the face of adversity, using your voice, being an empowering leader and, you know, being a great example to, uh, you know, other young female leaders out there. So uh, keep up that great work. What can we look for you doing in the future? I mean, it sounds like you probably have some pretty big aspirations. <laughs> Yeah, um, there are a couple of things coming up in the works. Uh, you can blame Ali Curtis again for it, <laughs> um, for inspiring me and making me feel like I can dream big. It's crazy. Um, but I just I love about the pageant world, too, is that um, I just really I've learned so much from these women and they're so inspiring and they continue to inspire me. And I kind of just want to continue to debunk the narrative of, of what it looks like to be an a woman and a, a feminist or empowered woman in general, all, the, all three of those tend to um, scare some people um, because they have an idea of it and it's time to start debunking those. So um, I'm going to continue to do that with empowered and continue to grow um, empowered and see that grow. It's been great to see it the last year, but um, also myself and, you know, just continue to take opportunities to challenge myself and, and go in areas that I haven't been in before. Well, no doubt you have a bright future ahead of you. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks for the time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. That is today's episode. Thanks for listening to Life After the Crown. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share it with your friends. Just tell them to go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And don't forget to grab my free Life After the Crown starter guide with seven essential principles to help you make the transition from pageant life over to professional life. So you can grab it right now at timtialdo.com slash starter guide. And if you want to keep up with all that's going on here at Life After the Crown, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of John 1334. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. See you next week, everybody. Thank you.